0: Understanding, Making
1: Connections.
2: Good afternoon, this is WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, Deepening Understanding, Making Connections, on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Indigo Radio, and our show is recorded and posted to SoundCloud and the iTunes store as well. So welcome, everyone. I am Marisa Nielsen, and I'm here with Nicolad. Hello. Good morning or Good afternoon. <laughs> Uh, We are going
3: to talk today, we're we're actually doing part two of taking care of our children um, and the foster care system. It's connection to eugenics. Marisa will give you a little bit of a recap. But I wanted to just tell you about last week's show, which you can find on our SoundCloud, um, as a podcast, if you have a podcast app, and also um, on the iTunes store. So last week we talked to Edward Dowd and Lou Wiley who are, uh, Lou was actually, an, um, an, was a nurse at the retreat, and Ed is still a nurse at the retreat. Uh, and they t- they were talking to us about the nurses' strike, which is happening at the retreat. Um, nurses have been picketing this week and are
2: looking for better working conditions. So... Um, and that's check- continuing, too, right? I think right. this Tuesday, um, this past Tuesday, there was another one. So... Yeah. Um, and actually, pe- nurses are out in the street only on their breaks.
3: So if a nurse, or not on their breaks, but when they're not working, because mm-hmm. there is a mandate to care for patients. And so nurses have a little bit more of difficulty organizing um, strikes in that way. And so if you would like to go support the nurses at the retreat for increased pay better, and better working conditions, um, definitely go join them out on the picket line.
2: Thank you, Nick. Um, So today, as we said, is the foster care um, part two. Last time in part one of the segment, we discussed (coughs) the number of children in custody in the state of Vermont. Um, We spoke with Joe Deary, who is a local foster parent, on her experiences with the system. And we also talked to um, historian and Abenaki educator, Judy Dow, on the historical connections between foster care and the eugenics movement in Vermont. We spoke at length with Judy, who is very knowledgeable about the eugenics survey in Vermont, um, which targeted Native Americans, indigenous people, um, and people living in poverty. Um, We also spoke about women in prisons and the push for them to have their children adopted in places like the Lund Home, which continues to operate today. Um, So today we'll be talking a little bit more about that. Um, We'll be making more connections between the eugenics movement, which is Alive and well today, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the family separations that's happening right now on the U.S.-Mexico border. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to start off with a song. This is Ana Tiju's new song with Rebel Diaz, and it's called "Iva Caer." Um, so here it is, and we'll be right back. <laughs>
0: Vaga e-e-e-e. Eh, 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 eh. Vaga e-e-e-e. Eh, 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 eh. Vaga e-e-e. Eh. Ando el mar de lejos, solo veo tu reflejo. Viejo, los latidos son de barro, construyendo cambios. Captivando la conciencia de los jóvenes. Bar, bar. Si no lo vivo, cómo lo aprendo? Si no trabajo, cómo lo arriendo? Tienes moneda, pues dale al pueblo. Tienen la ganas o el empeño. Somos los pobres buscando un sueño Somos los pobres tomando el dueño. Somos los pobres poder populares. Si no la boca se muere de hambre. Movimiento por la tierra, quemando la bandera, derrumbando lo que mandan. Es inicio de una nueva era donde el pueblo manda. Te recuerdo Amanda, te recuerdo trabajando hasta que el imperio caiga. Y aunque caigan los muros y aunque caiga la ciudad, y aunque caigan los pilares y aunque caigan la verdad, y aunque caigan las mentiras desde arriba lloverá, una fuerza tan potente que nadie podrá callar. Y aunque nadie nos escuche, la tierra sí gritará. Un grito Desgarrador que el mundo despertará Que se caigan sus banderas, que se caigan sus fronteras, sus guerras, la tierra pertenece a quien la libera Y vaga, eh, 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 eh. Y vaga, eh, 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 Y vaga, eh, eh, eh. Ya, eh. ya, yeah, yeah, cantando Dios general Después de sonar a mi igual La mano del tiempo no vuelvan atrás, La mano en no sigue queriendo robar Y la la plata Antes que todas se caiga Compran acciones baratas Sin pedir, que pasa mañana Cuando la voz se suba y se vuelve a Nota, no es baja nota, así van las cosas, de tus cosas, no tienen nada, si viene la ola, con el castillo de arena, agarra la pala, trabaja la tierra, papo que ya estamos en guerra, ahora hay que defender lo que nos queda, solo familia vecino, tuyo de tus seres queridos, Así que por daño hemos sobrevivido, no el mercado se deja el olvido, Esa casa de Nike se cae, por los que violentos que vienen, veremos los cambios que traen, presidemos presidan. Pero tenemos fuego, crees que con repra acabarás con nosotros, cierto, estás ciego, tan equivocado, comprarás muchas cosas, pero la tierra está de nuestro lado, no hay dinero Para que puedas comprender que ciertas cosas son valores imposibles de romper, el tema no es caerse, levantarse es la victoria. Ideas por el mundo vuelan en perfecto en la historia, se alzan por la pampa, se alzan por desiertos, pueblos diferentes unidos con el mismo sueño. Un mundo donde la mujer y el hombre nuevo caminen libres, emancipados y sin miedo. La la tierra pertenece a quien la libera
3: Welcome back. This is WEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live at www.wvew.org. And you are with us on Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. Marisa, that song was
2: Tiju and Rebel Diaz Ivacaer. And part of those lyrics um, say, You think you're the owner, we have fire. Um, Are you blind? You will buy many things, but the earth is on our side. There's no money. There's no paper. So you can understand that certain things are values impossible to break um, the world where the woman and the new man walk free, emancipated and without fear. Um, And then the the last part, and even if the walls fall, even if the city falls, let their flags fall, the earth belongs to the one who liberates it. Mm. Um, So those are just some of the lyrics of that song.
3: It's a really nice song.
2: Thank you. So today we're talking about family separation.
3: And what we wanted to do in the beginning of this segment was to uh, kind of talk about the connections and in, in history, um, as many people have recently been saying, this is not the America I know and love, um, to kind of discuss the history of the US state and how it has separated families throughout its history. Um, and as we know, family separation has been a huge topic in recent weeks as thousands of U.S. Americans have been taken to the street to protest the separation of migrant children from their families um, after crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, Now, while a California judge declared last week that children must be reunited with their families, it's clear that ICE and Homeland Security have not kept proper track of of children and their parents. Um, Some children have been deported without their parents, and some parents have been deported without their children. And so in this case, it will be impossible to reunify them. Um, So while there has been this declaration by a judge in California last week, I think that the physical conditions um, and the ways in which families have been separated will make it impossible for people to come back together.
2: And Nick, this isn't a new phenomenon in the United States, right? Could For you talk sure. a little bit about our long history of family, separating families, starting with the enslavement of Africans? Right. So basically, uh, when African families were even
3: brought to this country, they were being separated from their families. Um, before they arrived here. And then as they arrived, as African people arrived here to be enslaved, their children were sold away from them, their wives and husbands sold away from them. And so it's definitely not something new Mm. um, that families are being separated in this country. And of course, we can't forget about the separation of Native American children from their families. Mm. Um, Through boarding schools, children were uh, taken taken from their nations Put in boarding schools um, and many of them never saw their families again mm. many of their parents had no idea where their where their children were and many children lost their language
2: so that even if they were reunited there was no way to communicate with their families and i just was listening to a democracy now show where Indigenous people from Central America were saying the same exact thing is happening right now where indigenous children who don't speak English, don't speak Spanish, can't Mm. even have a translator because there's no one who speaks their language Mm. and they're isolated. They've been taken from their families in these detention centers with no one to speak for them. Mm. Um, And and it's really powerful that that people are showing up to speak um, Mm. for these children who who can't. So, Mm. but. Um, Nick, there's also, I, I feel like people do make those connections to slave mm-hmm. to enslavement um, mm-hmm. of Africans and also to Native Americans. But what about incarcerated families? Yeah, so um, I think that's
3: what's really interesting is that we don't talk about people in this nation as being separated from their families when the state is saying, for instance, that this person has committed a crime or uh, for from the many other reasons that people are incarcerated, including not being able to pay their debt. Um that essentially what happens is that people are put in local jails where they're poor and unable to pay for their bail. Mm -hmm. And so around um, this week, there was an article in The Intercept that reported a figure of 65% of those held in local jails are unable to pay bail, and so they're not able to get back to their families. Um, And of course, there's the opioid crisis that's happening right now, and so a lot of people are in prison Um, a lot of people are in prison for nonviolent offenses. And again, they're poor, unable to pay bail, or they're convicted, Mm -hmm. and are then separated from their families, which I think ties directly into our conversation around foster care, because many parents, uh, many children of incarcerated parents are in the foster care system. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, also, uh, what's really interesting also is that we don't see foster care as family separation. Mm. Um, and I think that that's something that needs to be addressed is that uh, many times children children need care, of course. Um, but why are we putting families through these systems in which there's humiliation, in which there is... Um, Investigation into very intimate details of their lives, mm-hmm. which sometimes have nothing to do with their capability of being a good parent. Um, and then the state mandates that their children be taken away from them.
2: Mm. So, I, Yeah, I, w- I was also just reading about, um, you know, families in poverty are disproportionately targeted by DCF. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the excuse can be, well, you know, they couldn't pay their rent, so they're not providing adequate living for their children. Um, And then once those families are um, on the radar, so to speak, it becomes easier for DCF to keep their children longer and all of the hoops that they have to jump through in order to get their children back, like having um, an an apartment, like a two bedroom apartment. So if you're a parent with with a child, the child is supposed to have its own bedroom to to live in. Who can afford that Mm. on a minimum wage? Not in Brattleboro, Mm -hmm. even if you work three jobs. Um, you would have to get some sort of subsidy and we know that the department of housing has cut all, you know, HUD has cut so many subsidies. So it's in, it's impossible. Um, mm. so, so even if we, we hear from, uh, the state or DCF that, oh, you know, we're taking these children because they're inadequate living conditions. Um, we know that that disproportionately affects families living in poverty and that the root cause is not really being addressed. Right. Um, and then there's this cyclical pattern um, where how can you afford to get out of that? Mm. Um, and
3: then how can you afford to get your children back? Right. Which right. many parents are um, really desperate to do, I think, just as we see this, these parents on the border
2: desperate to get their children back. Right. And there are still homes for children, too. It's not all be, um, placement in f- foster families. It, there are group homes still, mm. um, which I don't think people recognize Mm. uh, for children. And there's a huge
3: influx Mm -hmm. at this particular time in history with the opioid crisis of children in the foster care system. Yeah. And that's been a national concern. All right. So we're going to go to song break number two. This is John Legend. He actually attended an LA demonstration um, against family separation. And he and his wife wrote this song called Preach.
4: In downtown Los Angeles. John Legend speaking right now in Los Angeles. Let's take a listen. Every day I wake, everything is broken. Turning off my phone just to get out of bed. Get up every evening, history's repeating, turning off my phone, cause it's hurting my chest, yeah, and heaven knows I'm not helpless, but what can I do? sit and hope. I can't just sit and pray but i can find a low and all i see is pain falling to my knees and though i do believe i can't just preach baby preach voices, everybody's talking, nothing real is happening, cause nothing is new, and now when all is tragic, and I just feel sedated, why do I feel numb, Is that all I can right <laughs>
3: Welcome back. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can find us on Facebook, at Indigo Radio, and also on Instagram.
2: Well, today we're talking about foster care. This is the second of two um, radio shows that we've done so far. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one, we tried to connect the eugenics movement in Vermont to foster care today. Mm -hmm. Um, And today we're making more connections, again, with eugenics and also with the um, forced separation of families on the U.S.-Mexico border currently. Um, So... I think it's important we mentioned earlier um, people are drawing parallels and we are doing the same thing um, Mm -hmm. to connect the separation of families on the border to the separation of Native American children, um, starting with the boarding schools in the 19th century and continuing through the Indian Adoption Project um, in the late 1950s and 1970s, which removed 25 to 35% of all Native American children from their families. Mm. Um, So that's pretty recent. Um, Just recently, there has been a law that says that Native American children cannot be placed in non-Native foster families um, because there have been so many cases of this happening. Mm. Um, And the state uses things like poverty um, to claim that those indigenous families are not capable of taking care of their children when, when they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, today um, already there has been a lot of talk about um, increased adoption um, for the children at the borders already. Um, there was um it's important to know that the the facilities that the children are being held at are either corporate corporations that also own private prisons. Um, They're religious based nonprofits that are connected to, um, the Department of Education Secretary, Betsy DeVos, Mm -hmm. um, and nonprofits that have given a lot of money to the Trump administration, but also the um, Obama administration also. This is not a new thing. Um, And just because the Trump administration reversed the, the separation of families um, and now our housing are trying to house families together. It doesn't mean that that profit is going to stop um, because now they're going to be building even more detention centers mm-hmm. to house families together, um, which just profits those private prison corporations, those religious nonprofits, and those other nonprofits that are supporting mainly Republican um, politicians. Right, and there's attempts
3: to change laws also in Texas where people are being
2: held to
3: allow private prisons to call themselves child care facilities in order to increase the amount of children mm-hmm. and also the amount of profit, right? Because there is a per bed, per person, nightly fee that a corporation, a private prison corporation, um, charges the government. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, so that's how this particular wave of family separation is being used to profit. Um,
2: and, people, and yeah. people are being threatened, too. Um, the Daily Beast reported that the threat of adoption has become weaponized. Um, a Guatemalan mother detained by Customs and Border Protection earlier this month was allegedly presented with the ultimatum that if she didn't abandon her asylum appeal, she would be jailed for a year and her daughter would be put up for adoption. Mm. Um, uh, Fox News pro- <laughs> uh, reporter Laura Ingram Um, who is herself an adoptive mother, uh, mocked the detention of children as akin to summer camp Mm. um, and saying that this will make adoption easier for American couples who want to adopt these kids. Um, And that's scary, right? Because there was also large waves of international
3: adoption during crisis in other countries, like, for instance, Haiti. Mm -hmm. Um, So when the hurricane took place in Haiti and all the the country was left in ruins, Mm -hmm. um, and... Also in Guatemala, when the when the war broke out, the U.S. obviously uh, was involved in that particular war and increased the unrest and destabilization of that country. There were children stolen from that country,
2: mm-hmm. brought to the U.S. and essentially sold, mm-hmm. yeah. to families. And I think dehumanization is an important part of that process too. So when those crises happen, you know, um, in Guatemala, in Me- Mexico. Um, dehumanizing the people um, is one of the steps in um, advertising, I want to call it, um, the sale of these children to white middle and upper class families in the US. So Marisa, can I ask you, how do you see this as connected to the foster care system?
3: And how do you see eugenics um, as connected to the foster care system?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I... I am a foster parent, so Mm -hmm. I, um, I've, Mm -hmm. I've thought about this a lot over the past year. Um, I think that, um, there is a way of thinking that we've been trained to think in the United States, um, that has to do with white supremacy. It has to do with the textbooks that we read in school, um, that says that white people and wealthy people can have whatever they want. Mm. And, black and brown people and poor people are somehow, um, not working hard enough, not, um, doing all that they can to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, um, and, and make a life for themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's also, I think, um, uh, this rhetoric that, um, of like the, the Christian, um, Charity, charity, right. You know, Mm. um, I think that that was prevalent with the um, Native American boarding schools Mm -hmm. and continues today as well, where, you know, we have to take care of these quote-unquote poor people um, from their, you know, uncivilized uh, environments, which um, I think is how we treat people living in poverty today. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, we don't see poverty as a systemic problem that mm. is put upon people by individuals in power and corporations in power. Um, and we we personalize it and we individualize poverty as that person's problem and not as a systems-wide problem. Um, so I think that, like you were saying this morning, Nick, most of the calls to DCF come from school teachers. Mm. Most of those school teachers are white middle-class women. Mm. Um, myself among them and we see the children and we're mandated reporters um but that's perpetuating the ideology that people living in poverty can't take care of their kids or um can't do it in the way that we want them to do it for example um I think that's connected
3: to the dehumanization piece that you were referring to before because that essentially was part of the eugenics movement, right? Was Mm -hmm. labeling people Mm feeble-minded. And so therefore um, saying that these parents or this particular type of person is incapable of raising children and Mm -hmm. that the type of child that they would raise would not be beneficial Mm -hmm. to society. So it's essentially... um, A cleansing Mm -hmm. of sorts uh, where people and we see this today with like creating designer babies Mm -hmm. right is that there's a particular type of child that is the best type of child and so all other children um, need to be taken from their parents and pushed in that direction Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think that what's interesting is that the justifications for taking children from their homes may not be the same exact words, but they're the same notions, the same ideas, and so historically, I think that, uh, as you're saying, those are the kinds of connections that we should be making.
2: Yeah, and I think sometimes they are the same exact words, which is what's mm-hmm. really scary. You know, Judy Dow um, writes quite a bit about um, that. You know, feeble-minded, um, and uh, I, I. Th- I think it's just, it's scary, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Judy, I'll just read a little bit of what Judy wrote um, at a recent uh, speech she gave in Burlington. Um, She starts with Christopher Columbus tearing children from their parents and husbands and wives. Um, The placement of Native Americans on reservations, the kill the Indian, save the man. Um, Mm -hmm. The, um, I, I think that, the The rationale is the same, um, mm. and um, yeah. well, there's a blame
3: also, right? There's also a blaming, as you were saying before. There's the individualization, mm-hmm. but there's also a blaming of the poor, just as, for instance, with this crisis of opioids. So, whoever the addict is, that's the way in which they were born. They have an addictive personality. They're, mm-hmm. they're, it's their fault and their problem that they're addicted and so therefore they're seen as not the result of particular social conditions mm-hmm. such as Purdue Pharma and the government teaming up to sell an opioid that they knew to be addictive, having doctors prescribe it, and therefore having this huge crisis of opioid users who are then turning uh, to heroin. And we see this happening across the country. It's not just here. Um, But then turning around and saying, well, it's not Purdue Pharma's fault. It's not the government that's responsible. It's the user. Mm. And so therefore, they're not a responsible parent and they belong either in prison and their children should be taken away from them. And I think that that's not that's an example of what's happening with opioids and with foster care. But I think you can find that example in many, um,
2: like in the rhetoric of blaming the victim mm. in, in many ways in this country. Sure. Um. And also I think the d- adoption industry has become larger and larger and larger with more white middle-class families wanting to adopt children. Um, and so that that is an industry. It, and it's, um, so there has to be a supply for that demand. Mm. Um, so I think that that's important to recognize as well. Mm. Um, it would be great, I think, if we could play.
3: Yeah. There was a meeting um, that took place at the Root Social Justice Center uh, it's a group called Families United. And so they had a meeting, they invited the DCF commissioner in Vermont and there were families that were invited to speak to talk about how their lives have been impacted by DCF and um, to tell their stories about how DCF had taken their children and continues to affect their lives today.
2: So we're gonna play just a five minute clip from that meeting. Our goals for tonight of this
0: meeting, we're hoping that this meeting can be coined as a listening session. We hope that this meeting will be the first listening session as a pilot. And we hope that the DCF commissioner will go around the state to have
3: listening sessions with other families impacted by DCF and create an actual report from these listening sessions that we can use to make systemic change within the systems named before. Several years ago, my daughters were both placed in DCF custody from what was supposed to be a 48-hour hearing turned into 18 months in DCF custody. My daughters were close to being adopted. I couldn't live with the pain in my heart of losing them forever. i worked really hard and have regained full custody. I'm very blessed to have my daughters back home. I have lost something from this, though. I have lost 18 months of their childhood that I can never get back.
0: My name is Brandy Volkowskis, and I've recently been extremely impacted by, well, actually, you have custody of my children. You, as the commissioner of DCF, have custody of my children. No woman wants to step forward, no man, no
4: woman wants to step forward and say that there's something wrong and they want to get help, because the moment they do, their kids do get taken away. And they don't go to a family member. They don't. I have a four-bedroom house, and those kids could be right there. Right now, they could have been there on Thursday, and instead they're separated, and I don't have a clue where they
2: are. One thing that I want to know, when DCF would be involved with one of my families, it was a bonus. Oh, you have somebody from Early Education Services in your home helping you. That is so great. That doesn't happen anymore. And there's also many other places in this community who are also not being used. There's a wonderful, rich community of services here, CIS, visiting nurses, and we are amazing support for family. And I want to know why we're not being used, because working with us could help families be able to do better and, and get their kids home or keep their kids out of DCF.
0: Um,
4: I just want my three children home. <laughs> uh, sorry. I was told that I had to go to marriage counseling to fix my marriage with my husband, and then DCF turned around and told me that I had to leave my husband in order to get my children. That is not fair. DCF has destroyed my family. I just want to see DCF help these families that have not harmed their children and give their children back to them.
0: And we were we were on our way home from getting ice cream and play and we were playing on the playground when a cop, a state trooper and three DCF workers pulled up and came and my son was like grabbed right on and was like, don't let
2: them take me. He knew right then what was happening and it was so horrible.
4: How screwed up is that? We're supposed to protect our kids, but we're not allowed to. Uh,
3: My name is Jackie Reynolds. And I
2: am a former foster parent, and I'm here because I had a very bad experience with DCF. It turned out well. The baby got reunited with the family, but we really had to fight tooth and nail and do a lot of
3: my own research and complain and complain to try to make that happen. And fortunately, at the end of the day, the judge agreed that, yes, this baby should go home, and these parents were great. But then looking back at everything that they had to go through, it's not right. I'm certain many, many other families go through this. And I also feel very certain that I know the reason that this is happening, and it is because of the leadership in the Brattleboro DCF office.
0: So I'm Becca Ballant. I'm the majority leader in the Vermont State Senate. I represent Wyndham County. I live here in Brattleboro with my family. I think of myself and my own
3: children, who are 7 and 10, and what that would feel like for me to have my children taken from me. And it's heartbreaking. And as many people said tonight, all the circumstances are different, all the situations are different, but there are some common threads and one of the things that I keep coming back to is in most situations, kids are better off with their, with their families. Because the trauma is not lessened necessarily by being in a different home.
2: That was uh, a video from the Root Social Justice Center from a forum they had last week. Um, And the final image on that says in 2017, 1,250 children were under Vermont DCF custody. Um, Mm -hmm. That was from their January report. Well, yeah, what was
3: really interesting for me about that particular segment was um, the woman who said that no one wants to step forward for help. And so um, it's, to me, sad that in this particular crisis... um, Women are struggling, and at the same time, if they go to a particular medical center or to the hospital to receive help,
2: then they're immediately put on a list and monitored. Right, they're surveilled. So, And we had a radio show about this um, where we spoke about Sylvia Frederici's book, The Caliban and the Witch. Um, when she talks about how um, child rearing and child bearing used to be a women's... Um, community. And, um, then male doctors sort of pushed out those midwives, um, and made it a a more, um, male dominated profession. Um, so currently what we see is women who are living in poverty or women who are, um, struggling with substance abuse or, um, or partner abuse, um, Mm -hmm. who seek help in either the hospital or in nonprofits, um, are then put on this list. (laughs) And, um, I have heard DCF say, you know, well, we, we know of the women who are going to give birth. Um, because when, when I was starting the process of becoming a foster parent, I said, well, we would really, we'd, we'd love to have a, a little baby. You know, we, we'd like to take care of a baby in our house um, Mm -hmm. that's the age range we're looking for Mm -hmm. Um, and and she said most of the women we know when they're going to give birth because we have the records of them you know in the hospital or we've seen them at the clinic or um, you know they're on the radar Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's so they're already being surveilled um, before they even give birth Mm -hmm. and then also you know with Uh, families who have had their older children taken away from them by DCF um, they're likely to have their newborn babies taken immediately as well.
3: Well there was also recently a study that came out in the American Sociological Review by Frank Edwards he's a sociology PhD at the University of Washington so Edwards reviewed 10 years of federal data about every state's foster care system And he compared those findings to how punitive a state's criminal justice system is and how generous a system of welfare benefits is. So he found a clear correlation between three factors. How harshly a state deals with crime, or in in this particular instance, how harshly a state criminalizes addiction. Um, How it deals with the economically vulnerable or poor people and how many children will end up in foster care. And so his conclusion was that the number of children that enter foster care every year in a particular state is pretty well predicted by the punitiveness of the state's criminal justice system and the generosity of its welfare system. So in his report, he basically suggested that there needs to be an expansion of social safety nets, and um, he basically uh, talks about the negative impacts of having a harsh criminal criminal justice
2: system so we're going to go to another song break Um, the song we'll hear is Archie Roach took the children away or the children came back Um, and then we'll be back this is Indigo Radio
1: this story's right this story's true I would not tell lies to you like the promise said they did not keep, and how they us in like sheep. Said to us, "Come, take care of him." Set us up on mission land. Told us to read, to write, and pray. Then they took the children away. Took the children away. Children away, snatched from their mother's breast, said this is for the rest, took them away. Welcome and the Holy state said, You've got to understand, we'll give to them. taught them this and others taught them prejudice you took the children away the children away breaking down mother's heart caring us all about took them away one dark day on oh, friendly yeah, came and did Mother cried, go get their dad He came running and fighting the Mother's tears were falling down Dad checked up and stood his ground He said, you touch my kids and you fight me Then they took us from a family They took us away, snatched from our mother's breast. this is for the best. Took us away. came back, the children came back, back where their hearts closed strong, back where they all belong, the children came back, said the the children came back, the children came back, back where Back to their mother's land, the children came back. Back to their mother.
2: Welcome back. This is WVEW LP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and Instagram. Today, we've been talking about the foster care system, um, the separation of families at the U.S.-Mexico border, Mm -hmm. and the history of eugenics in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Um, We just listened to a song called The Children Came Back by Archie Roach. He was talking about the separation of indigenous Australian children, Um, but we have been trying to make the connection between all the separations of children throughout the world, throughout our history, particularly in the United States. We have a steep history of separating families, beginning with um, Native families and also the separation of families of enslaved Africans um, through currently separating families, um, particularly those living in poverty um, and those who have substance abuse um, illness. And one that we didn't mention, actually, which I think is really
3: important, considering the Supreme Court decision this week, is the Muslim ban. Um, I think a lot of people assume, um, and also probably a lot of people understand this, but that there are family members who are here in the U.S. that have been waiting to be reunited with other family members that are outside of the U.S. So, for instance, Iraqi refugees who have come mother and um, younger children, whose file is together, but whose older son is in a separate file or filed maybe later, and he's now no longer able to enter the country because of this particular
2: law that was just upheld by the Supreme Court this week. Mm. Um, And I think that that points to... um there are policies that have been in place that continue to take place. You know, DCF was not always in existence. Mm. Um, it began, and nor was ice, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Ice is a very recent phenomenon, yes, right? Exactly. 2008, 2000, something. Mm-hmm. early 2000s. Mm. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think we have to remember that children didn't used to be, um, stolen <laughs> right. and um and that there weren't corporations um mm-hmm. like ICE or uh government programs like DCF that you know the their purpose is supposedly to keep us safer keep mm-hmm. keep people safer um but the consequences are are of course not that um the consequences are putting more people in prison and that makes more profit for the corporations mm. um, and I think people forget about the root causes of, of migration, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked a little earlier about individualizing um, people's problems, you know, individualizing the person who is addicted, individualizing the migrant, um, you know, individualizing that pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm-hmm. Um, and we teach that in schools, you uh, and I think we we mask the, the cause, like, for example, the U.S. involvement in Central and South America that mm-hmm. has um, forced families to flee. Right. Um, it, Including NAFTA, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Which impoverished so many farmers and caused the loss of land for so many farmers in Mexico mm-hmm. who then were forced to either sell or just give up their land. Um, and pursue work as maybe migrant farmers in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So in this particular segment, we wanted to discuss a report, which Nina and I had discussed last week, which I think is kind of relevant to all subjects um, of justice and of um, current conditions in the U.S. So... There was a statement published on Philip, Professor Philip Alston's visit to the US. Um, It was published in December 2017 and he was the United Nations Special Rapporteur on extreme poverty and human rights in the US. Um, So he describes the dramatic cuts in welfare. He describes um, tax reform, he describes Homelessness. Uh, he goes through a variety of sections of kind of the conditions that poor people are living in uh, in our country. And the number that he cites is 40 million living in abject poverty in the U.S.
2: Yeah, he makes a few comparisons um, with the U.S. and other states, such as U.S. infant mortality rates were highest in 2013. They were the highest in the developed world. Mm-hmm. Um, Americans can expect to live sicker, shorter lives compared to people living in any other rich democracy. Mm. Um, the youth poverty rate in the U.S.
3: is the highest across um, some of the 30 richest countries uh, in in the world. Mm-hmm. With
2: one quarter of youth living in poverty, and we have, of course, the highest incarceration rate in the world mm. as well. Right. Um. And I and he also makes some points that like this doesn't have to happen. For mm-hmm. example, he visited Skid Row in L.A. and talked about how um, the criminalization of um, of poverty um so for example homeless people on the streets um it's a, a criminal act to sleep on the street it is in brattleboro also mm-hmm. um, even to camp in brattleboro even right to camp in Br- brattleboro mm-hmm. which is why we have um camp for a common cause on mm-hmm. the commons every year mm-hmm. um led by the groundworks collaborative mm.
3: he uh, also said it, i think it's so really interesting how um a lot of our politi- a lot of the politicians in power keep talking about unemployment and bringing jobs back. But really, there's so much money in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Professor Alston writes in his report that there's no magic recipe for eliminating extreme poverty. And at each level of government, uh, you know, there has to be better decisions made, but at the end of the day, particularly in a rich country like the U S the persistence of extreme poverty is a political choice made by those in power. And with political will, it could readily be eliminated, Mm -hmm. which I think has, you know, um, a lot of pertinence to what we're going to be talking about in this particular segment about the profit that's made, um, both off of people's labor, which they're not paid for, um and even if they're paid for it i think for instance that ceo's making more than 300 times more than the average worker is could could point us to the reason why there's poverty in in this country um but also um to talk about the criminalization of poverty, the criminalization of addiction as a way for profits to be
2: extracted, mm-hmm. both from our tax dollars, but also by using prison labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I was just reading about the legalization of marijuana. Um, there was a report about California, which legalized several years ago, and how even with the legalization, legalization of marijuana, people of color were still being <laughs> targeted by police three times more, um, for possession of marijuana. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it can all be well and good for white people, but not so much for people of color. Um, and I think that similarly, uh, we see that with people living in poverty here in Brattleboro. Um, you know, you can't, you can't sleep on the sidewalk. There are no public restrooms in Brattleboro. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the the sorry, what's the build? The river, uh, river uh, gar- gallery, river. river gar- gallery. I always forget. <laughs> Not the art gallery. No, the where the strolling of the heifers is located. Um, you know that used to be open and much mm. more public, and now has been privatized. privatized. Mm. Um, Philip Olson actually, in his report,
3: made a really good point about the foster care system. He wrote that mothers in Alabama face criminal prosecutions, which can result in years of incarceration. And as well as civil child welfare proceedings that have the power to separate families and sever a person's parental rights. Families living in poverty are already disproportionately the subject of child welfare investigations in the US, and experts have found that poor children disproportionately suffer impositions of the child welfare system. And families who receive public assistance or welfare are four times more likely than others to be investigated and have their children removed from the family home on the basis of alleged child maltreatment. And I think that's really interesting, too, because I've seen, um, particularly in my life, I've been privileged to go to uh, great schools. And so a lot of people in those great schools had a lot of money. And so... I remember hearing about how they had nannies. And so wealthy people may not be taking care of their children, but can hire people to do it. Mm. That's not seen as
2: um, neglect. Right, right. And so what does neglect look like? Sure. Or um, wealthy white families smoking marijuana can Mm. be publicized in the newspaper. Right. Um, But and not criminalized, but that would mm-hmm. not be the case for um, people living in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's uh, essentially
3: what the underlying theme of this particular show is, and many of our shows, is that um, poverty is something seen as criminal. And a choice. And a choice. And the, the root causes of poverty... Um, are not discussed the root causes of like you said before migration are not discussed the root causes of poverty in guatemala the root poverty the root causes of poverty in in yemen in in syria in any of these countries where people have been banned from entering um, people are seen as violent poor people are seen as violent very often poor people are seen as uneducated uncivilized and so i think that what's most important for us is to delve into the history as we have with the eugenics movement um, and to delve into who's benefiting from these particular systems and how is it that the smoke screen is being kind of pulled over, is it pulled over our eyes? Mm -hmm. (laughs) A screen is being pulled over our eyes Um, in that we're not being able to see necessarily clearly without real investigation um what what the root causes of so much suffering and injustice in our world are
2: um We hope that you will uh, continue to listen to Indigo Radio. Um, There may be a part three of this particular (laughs) show. Um, We really thank the Root Social Justice Center um, for hosting the forum um, for Families United. Um, We thank Judy Dow for her contributions um, and publications on the Vermont Eugenics Survey. Mm -hmm. Um, And we encourage you to talk to your children about this too because we learn all of this in school Um, and particularly the, with the um, uh, curic- canned curriculum, curriculum that's owned by large corporations mm. um, continues to perpetuate this notion of um, um, uh, the, the people living in poverty ha- are doing that because they're, that's their choice, mm. not, and not discussing the, the systemic causes that um, people in power are, are making for, the, for people. So we're going Oh, I'm sorry. Huh? I just want to make okay.
3: one more point. <clears throat> and I would suggest that people look at this Alston report. It's not very long, but he also makes the same point that the the notion is that poor people are and people on welfare are cheating the system, and that rich people have made an honest living. And so he addresses that very directly, um, and in some ways, in a very sarcastic tone. But. <laughs> Check that out. Thanks for joining us on Indigo Radio today.